my colleague at the University of Toronto, Dr. John Verveke. I think wisdom is an important topic nowadays because we need it more and more because of the prevalence of anxiety. You feel disconnected from something in an important way. Yeah, there's overlap between the psychedelic experience and mystical experiences, but they're not identical. The knowledge is about evidence, but understanding is about significance. John Verveke, a psychologist and cognitive scientist at the University of Toronto. Um, I think you should trust yourself as much as other people find you trustworthy. You should see uh, the community of learners, and it's really hard in this world like to find people because we are not learning how to think for ourselves and be kind of like independent thinker and how to challenge our ideas. Yes. We need the kind of education that is provided by artists and musicians. We don't just represent certain features of the world, we actually instantiate them in the very guts of our cognition. A lot of that information is actually bullshit in the technical sense of the word. Welcome to the Brain VR podcast. Today we've got a pleasure to have here John Werwecki from Toronto University. John, <laughs> welcome to Prague and it's a pleasure to have you. It's great to be here. Really good to be here. I would like to ask you first about uh, wisdom. You had a talk here in Prague. So what are the most important uh, features of wisdom? Um, the, the most important features of wisdom um, I think is that meta-perspectival ability, uh, the ability to take multiple perspectives and internalize perspectives other than your own into your own metacognition. So you can increase your capacity for self-correction, uh, for insight, and also for interfacing and enter into, entering into deeper dialogos with other people and plex situations with high novelty. You can insightfully cut through to what's relevant and you can fit yourself, your, uh, agency to that situation so you act most appropriately within it. And why do you think wisdom is an important topic nowadays? I think wisdom is an important topic nowadays because we uh, need it more and more because of the prevalence of uh, a lot of information. Uh, a lot of that information is actually bullshit in the technical sense of the word. And that we need uh, increased discernment, uh, enhanced relevance realization. Uh, and this is precisely at the time when most people have lost connection uh, to the religious traditions that used to home the ecologies of practices that allowed people to cultivate wisdom. I'm not advocating for a return to religion, neither am I precluding it. But for most people, religion isn't the place where they turn for uh, wisdom. But what's the alternative for them is the c crucial question that we're facing right now. And for many people, it's kind of an autodidactic thing where they sort of uh, cobble together uh, practices here and there and beliefs here and there. And frequently that autodidactic thing can be a, a mess that just exacerbates subjective bias, uh, egocentrism, and even can, as we see uh, in general, further narcissism. <laughs> and uh, because wisdom is really old term, but nowadays we kind of don't know how to use it or how to perceive the wisdom or how to yes. how to approach wisdom. Yes. So what would you recommend people that are kind of lost in this, I don't know, in these terms and new kinds of religions, how to find or where to start if they want to uh, find a way to wisdom or if they want to cultivate the wisdom in their lives? Right. So first of all, find, sort of curate, Uh, an, an ecology of practices. There's no panacea practice. There's no one practice. 
You have to get practices that are an opponent processing with each other, mutually correcting, layered on each other, pedagogically supporting each other. The diet ecology of practice needs to be supported, uh, homed within a community of people that you can enter into genuine dialogos with, offer you that multi-perspectival forum that I've been mentioning. Uh, it has to be uh, intergenerational, uh, because if it's not intergenerational, then you're actually giving up one of the main places in which cultural ratcheting occurs. Um, that community should situate itself within a community of communities that is trying to create a worldview that is not consonant with, but also instructive to the prevailing scientific worldview. Mm -hmm. So you got to make sure you join a group that can keep abreast with and is constantly in dialogue with the very best cognitive science. I was wondering about one of your terms, which is, I mean, I found, I found it so useful. It was continual self-transcendence. Yes. And you talk about how you, how you are constantly trying to get this perspectival egocentrism. Yeah. Could you, could you tell us more about that? How that leads to continual self-transcendence and what does it mean? So you mean the sort of rationally self-transcending rationale? Yes, the yes. The definition yes. I've offered of wisdom. Um, <laughs> So, so the, the, the point behind that is, again, there is no panacea practice and, and no, neither is there any final faculty. There isn't any one part of you, your imagination, your intuition, your emotions, your reason, uh, right, that, it, that can be the guide to this. They have to be uh, put together. This is Plato's model of an internal culture that is constantly uh, integrating um, the different kinds of knowing uh, so that you're getting, uh, and this, this is another characteristic of wise people's profound understanding. See, under, knowledge is about evidence, but understanding is about significance. And what you need to do is you need to have, like the, not only the self-correcting rationality for participatory knowing and perspectival and procedural and propositional, you need to have something that is also self-correcting the self-corrections so that you get you get a participatory understanding of the relevance of the perspectival and a perspectival understanding of the relevance of the participatory and the procedural and propositional. They, we have to enhance this mutual understand, understanding and you get this higher order capacity to constantly self-correct how the individual forms of knowing are correcting themselves so that you, you're getting this constant emergence of new and deeper understanding, which again is a characteristic of wisdom. Okay, do I understand it correctly that I'm engaging in a world, I'm participant, right? Yeah. And some ways of me engaging and participating in the world are going to be not so optimal and some of them are going to be optimally gripping, as you say, optimally gripping the world. Yes. And, and, and you know, the important thing that I feel is the feeling. It, it, like what I feel and what is my subjective experience throughout this process, right? Because I have some perspective and I can change the perspective and stuff yeah. like that. But yes, as, as you say, we can bullshit ourselves if we get locked into any one of those ways of knowing, right? right. Because there is not only propositional tyranny, but I, Ethan, Ethan and Tamaki Kobayashi talked about uh, how we can have procedural tyranny yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, very much. So do I understand correctly that we need to kind of reflect it through our subjectivity, but, um, you know, 
also interact and interface yes. with other people and and kind of okay check in with myself as well yeah yeah there's so much yes uh and putting them in the right balance in fact i i i advise my students that um when you're when you when you're trying to get normative guidance of how well you're doing in the cultivation of wisdom uh don't pay attention so much to all your your internal phenomenology uh right or pay attention to whether or not people are telling you that in many different domains of of your, of where they're seeing you in your life you're getting more flexible more insightful more incisive more decisive more capable right and and more compassionate more virtuous because that's actually the real measure because that's the measure outside of your egocentrism that you should orient to i don't mean totally ignore i mean you should feel motivation you should feel connected but if you want feedback you need it to come largely from other people so is that the is that the way to prevent the bullshitting of yeah. ourselves I, I, in, in as much as we can okay. the the best we have is people like the, the the two things you don't want is are people who just agree with you and people who just attack you <laughs> right uh because neither one of those will actually provide um self correction so that's what i've been trying to try to develop this notion of dialogos where we're where we get off of do we agree or not right and we instead am i helping you give birth to yourself and are you helping me to give birth to myself the socratic notion are we both growing and moving we don't have to if we can get out of the agreement we can get out of you know the, those two poles where that really hamper self correction everybody agrees with me echo chamber or everybody attacks me which is oh, and those are the two options we're offered right now and neither one of them is conducive for for correction so there is coming coming up an interesting question and it is uh how much should one trust himself his feelings his thoughts uh, do you have any point to that um i think you should trust yourself as much as other people find you trustworthy okay so <laughs> constantly constantly challenge your ideas and your thoughts but also feelings see if you if look, are people willing to bind themselves to you because they feel that in relationship to you they get into right relationship raphael ligio with themselves with other people in the world that's what i mean by trustworthy if they say to you i, I like i want to be with and i want to be in a relationship with you and i don't mean a romantic relationship although i'm not excluding it's be, it, they say I, because you know I, with you i can think better and with you i can understand better and with you i can transform better that's what you're looking for are people saying that to you and then what you can do is you can look for the moments where people are saying that to you and find out well, what is it i'm doing that's affording that how am i doing practices that transfer broadly into my life and if it's not happening you want to reflect on why maybe ask some people why, why don't you trust me why don't you find do you want to have a long conversation with me for three hours well no not really that's a really important indicator right um are you, but if somebody says to, and think i'm sorry this is not meant to be self promotional but as i've taken this up more and more people more and more say to me i want to i want to be i want to talk to you for a long period of time and not just me the people in this community that's crying i want to participate these these are life transforming uh conversations uh, this is really interesting uh, it looks like you should see the community of learners yeah i really like concept of adam grant and he's got a pyramid or hierarchy of learning or of thinking styles and you've got cult leader you have politician you have 
some like opposing uh, thinking person, then you have some uh, critical thinker and the top of the pyramid, there is a learner and learner thinks, okay, I need to uh, constantly challenge my perceptions, yeah. my thoughts, my yeah. ideas, my feelings. So because you can uh, you can be closed in a community of uh, cult leaders, yeah. basically. Yeah, like exactly. You can, you can challenge your ideas and everyone are just nodding at you. But you should see uh, the community of learners. And it's really hard in this world like to yeah. find people because we are not not uh, taught, we are not we are not learning how to think for ourselves and be kind of like independent thinker yeah. and how to challenge our ideas. Yes, yes, yes. But you, the, the ideal you just put forth, that's, a, that's the Socratic ideal, right? And Socrates made it very clear that his self-examination and his examination of other people were completely interdependent. You could not separate one from the other. So I, I, I think that's exactly right. But of course, they killed Socrates. And, and so, right, uh, and I, I'm hoping that does, that's not my fate. I'm not Socrates, but I aspire to be like him. And that means... What we're talking about here is a lot more radical and revolutionary than people realize. It really, really is an attempt to undermine deep cultural cognitive grammar and habits that keep us from the Socratic way of life. How do you think we could get it to a broader public? Because I have a lot of people around myself that are lot like me, lot like this kind of ideal. They are learners and they like to challenge their ideas. But that's not the norm. That's not yeah. the middle of the Gauss, Gaussian uh, spread, you know. So how we could make it more represent, represented in the default state of mental health of society, basically? Well, that's why I made reference to like the building movement and we need to have uh, uh, education. And this is Zach Stein's idea too, about education and time uh, to two worlds. There is a variation, first of all, there's, so we can't, what, what am I trying to say? There are certain biological limits, it seems. There's variation in what's called need for cognition. You are an individual who's high in a need for cognition, so am I. Uh, this is exactly the learner. Not everybody is as high in the need for cognition, but what you can educate people on, so they can get, they can get, uh, they can increase that, and they can also increase their appreciation for other people who engage in it. And that is going to require education. And I don't just mean formal education. It's going to mean the kind of education me and other people are trying to do with YouTube and the internet. And it also means, and I keep saying this, we need the kind of education that is provided by artists and musicians. And more and more, uh, I'm happy to say, more and more people are approaching me and people in this community uh, from the artistic community and wanting to uh, give, uh, bring this to more people through, uh, the arti uh, through artistic media. And I think that's a crucial thing. I think if we do not get artists, broadly speaking, involved, and I mean poets and everything, uh, this will not uh, grow the way it needs to. The building movement, you need both, you know, the, the sort of secular monasteries, and then you need a rich artistic community associated with it. And then you can get things to change. That's beautiful. That's uh, the place where science meets art. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Following up on that, uh, we real like kind of psychedelics, psychedelic compounds. Yeah. And we like the uh, mechanism of work and what they can bring to mental health. And yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, what can, what, what can they bring in cultivating insights? Yeah. But the same problem with psychedelics is that people can close up on their beliefs and on their totally. on their experiences yeah. on those psychedelic states. Like, is it, is it, is it the same kind of a problem? 
Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's related to the problem. Right? The question I raised in the conference a few minutes ago. You're trying. So what many people are doing is they're trying to replace uh, religious transformation of cultural cognitive grammar with psychedelic transformation. Um, and it's like, yeah, there's overlap between the psychedelic experience and mystical experiences, but they're not identical. And what you what what they didn't pay attention to is, you know, those mystical and shamanic and all those other ways in which people were altering. They were always done within a sapiential framework, uh, right, in which there was a uh, a community of people practicing a whole bunch of other practices, uh, normally practices for getting that multi-perspectival machinery running, and also, you know, practices for challenging self-deception. And within that context, uh, the, the psychedelics you use, and you have to remember the medical benefits of psychedelics, especially the psychotherapeutic, not the psychedelics usually per se, sometimes, but that's rare. Most frequently, it's the psychedelics in combination with therapy, in which there is this practice that challenges egocentrism, challenges self-deception, improves metaperspectival internalization and processing, right? And that, that's the combination. So psychedelics without that sapiential framework is very liable to end you up in the wrong place. And one of the, the very worst places it can end you up is it can just give you another version of your particular propositional tyranny. Oh, I went into the psychedelic state and I came out knowing that leprechauns are running the world economy and we're right. And uh, you, you do like and that. And, and so, um, and there's increasing evidence uh, and argument that it's not so much the propositional content that affords the transformation. It's the procedural, perspectival and participatory transformations. So you should have a sapiential framework that prioritizes those. I think that something something you said about psychedelics that kind of sums it up really nicely is that you don't, you know, don't follow the information that you get from the experience, yes. but the mode of being, yes. you know, that yes. you... Uh, it, and it's so, it's again, like so powerful and such a nice kind of... Um, principle of deciding like how am I gonna going to integrate some of the you know some of the experiences that I've had yes um there is one quote that you've said and I think it's like I it's again really uh struck me and it's more of more of pondering by what if there is deep connection between our cognitive structures and the structures of reality yes and why I'm why I'm saying that is because there's a lot of talk about you know I don't know Donald Hoffman everything is illusion yeah, and toxic. Yeah. yeah oh really yeah. wow yeah. that's so cool and and then there is like this hardcore reduction reductionism reductionism yes exactly <laughs> and you know all these kind of camps are arguing that you know we are kind of fools in this reality and our perception sure. is fooling us and yes of course. It is fooling us in some way, but this quote, as you've said, maybe, what if there is some similarities and we are living in the same, you know, the universe and us are in the same thing. We are participating yeah. in that. So what do you mean by that? And how, sure. Yeah. So w what I mean by that is, uh, I'll give you like it from my talk. The principles of relevance realization are really similar to the principles of biological evolution. And the self-organizing criticality that you find in both evolution and in cognition is also prevalent in a lot of physical phenomena. Um, and so the idea there is that we, not, we, not, we don't just represent certain features of the world, we actually instantiate them in the very guts of our cognition. 
And what two, two more points if I'm allowed. The next point is, if that's not the case, if the mind and the world don't fundamentally touch, then what, what many people who are mentioning this, what these, some of these views say, they don't realize that you, 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 if you're going to be consistent, that ends, that ends you up in a completely solipsistic skepticism. Because, like, so, no, 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 but I can know my own mind. Well, why? Why isn't your mind a simulation? Like, like you, you, you say your mind is capable of creating simulations about the world. How do you know it's not also about itself? Why are you privileging mental, like, or why are you privileging the math? Or, like, right? So you have to, if you reject, I, if you reject skepticism and solipsism, especially the absolute version of it, you have to conclude that there is some fundamental way in which the mind is not just representing the rea reality, but instantiating it. As long as it's representing it, it's separated from it. And that's where you get the solipsism and the skepticism. But if the world and the mind are co-instantiating, then there is no fundamental separation and you have a possibility of actual real intelligibility. The third, and then the final point is when you look at cognition, we, we have all this co converging models that it's simultaneously bottom-up emergence and top-down emanation. And yet we're getting, the, we're starting to get that look in 40 cognitive science. We're starting to get that look in biology. As talked with Wolfgang Smith, we're starting to get that look in physics. It's emergence because what people are realizing is it, because everybody is sort of getting there has to be emergence, right? But if you have emergence without emanation, if the upper levels can't cause back down, you just have epiphenomenalism. And that means the scientists and all the equipment and the gauges and the pencils and the dialogue is all an epiphenomena, which means it's all an illusion, which means the science isn't actually real, which means it can't tell you about the bottom <laughs> level or the ultimate, re like you get into these weird performative contradictions. So, so undermining itself, right? Exactly. Yeah. You get a performative contradiction. So if you put that performative contradiction aside, if you put aside the option of, you know, kind of an absolute skepticism and solipsism, you get the idea, oh, no, no reality and the mind, not the content, but this sort of grammar of how they unfold the logos of them both has, uh, they have a deep, a deep co co-instantiation, the same principles. There's something fundamentally the same. And so that's the argument. Um, I love, we talked with Michael Levin as well, and I love how he says, and it, it feels, it reminds me that, that we, you know, there are some Uh, some order of the universe, there are some principles of working and we, our biology, our organism is using those Very much. to function. Yes, yes. It, it's harnessing the laws of the nature, laws yes. of the universe. And, and then why would be the so much different from those laws if we are running on them, right? Exactly. So that was like a, a point Michael, Michael had and it was just reminded me of, of this. So for me, the ancient framework that really um, explicated that possibility is, is the Neoplatonic framework. And the Neoplatonic framework uh, and the learned ignorance that that's the end of that whole process, that's just the development of Socrates' wisdom claim that he knew, his wisdom consisted in he knew what he did not know. It's learned ignorance and developing it. And that Neoplatonic framework, I think, is now coming back into vogue Um, along with uh, things that went into it, like stoicism, et cetera. And I don't think that's a coincidence.
Could you please describe more what uh, Neoplatonic means? Uh, so it means uh, uh, the, the whole tradition starting from Socrates and all the way through, um, you basically take um, Socratic dialogos and then you mix it with uh, uh, Platonic spirituality, anagoge, reciprocal opening, and then you integrate Stoic models of, of virtue uh, and it, it is, it's, it's like the grain swipe. It's, 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 it sounds like super philosophy. Yes, it's, it is. Super, philosophy. super practical philosophy. <laughs> so, so what a lot of people don't realize is just before the advent uh, and the dominance of Christianity, no, around the same time as the advent of Christianity, but before the dominance of Christianity, the whole ancient philosophical world had come to a point of not complete consensus, but strong convergence around this Neoplatonic framework. And then, of course, Christianity took it up. But here's what's interesting about that Neoplatonic framework. It, not only does it enter into reciprocal reconstruction with its own pagan heritage with Christianity, it also does it with Judaism. It also does it with Islam. You get Sufism. It, it did it all along the, 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 the physical Silk Road. So it holds the possibility of being a philosophical Silk Road for us, where we, instead of all this debate in the courtroom, we can move into a courtyard of dialogos, Right. And that's a real. And yet the other thing it was capable of entering into reciprocal reconstruction with did it in the Renaissance and did it at the beginning of the 20th century was science. So this is like there's a possible convergence here that's really, really exciting. So can I imagine it like rationality and logic combined with this uh, subjective experience and kind of. Uh, yes, but also intersubjective experience and transjective experience okay. and transformation. So the, 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 the rationality expanded so that it, it, it includes what we would call spirituality with no sense of contradiction and spirituality deepened. So it includes what we consider rationality without any, any sense of contradiction. Do you know work of Gregory Bateson? Of course, uh, I like, talked to his daughter, Nora. Wow, yeah, we would like to, to talk to her. Uh, so, can I imagine, but because Gregory Bateson, he's like really logical, he was really logical and rationalist person, but he, he had this like, uh, how is it in English, like big mind, like great minds. Uh, his book is Ecology of Minds. Yeah, I've read the Ecology of Minds. Yeah. Big mind and small mind. I don't know how is it in, in English. Yeah. So his big mind is like, actually like you are part of the universe, you are part of the reality around. So yes. can I imagine him as a neoplat neoplatonist? I think he is, I mean, in, in very real sense. And a lot of people that you might not realize are Neoplatonists, uh, um, I think, uh, uh, fall into that tradition very well. But that, that notion about big mind, that overlaps with what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about collective intelligence and distributed cognition and the hyper agents of, of co collective intelligence that can deal with hyper objects. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's getting interesting here. <laughs> We'd love to continue, but I would like to ask you like one more thing because I recently heard your talk, Voices with Wiroiki. It was before Wolfgang and Karen, and there were really interesting. It was it was about Neoplatonism. Yeah, yeah. Very, much, very much. Yes, and 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 I heard there a quote, and um, I will read it. Some people enter ontological places that normal people don't know that exist. Yeah. What does it even mean, like for a normal human being? That sentence or? Yes, uh, like, yeah. Disclaim. So there's this story told by this guy, Plato, about a bunch of normal people who are living in a cave. <laughs> All they can see are the shadows and echoes. By the way, why are they less real? Because they don't have multi-aspectuality. They're thin on their ability to generate new intelligibility. 
But those people, or you might say there's this guy named Neo and he's in the Matrix. That's what it looks like. It looks like you, you, like you can't realize this deeper sense of reality unless somebody exposes you and gives you a taste to it. But that's what it would be like. And so Wolfgang is trying to say, look, right, there's a sense in which we're all in Plato's cave and we need to, we need to figure out uh, how to, uh, first of all, metanoia, turn around and see from a different perspective. And, he, and, you know, and he's doing this really like powerful stuff. The measurement problem is very similar to the argument I just gave you. We, had to, we came at them independently, which is really cool. Uh, the measurement problem is like the argument I gave you about science itself has to be real or all of its conclusions fall into illusion. And he, his point is, you know, the, the measuring instruments can't be at the quantum level if they're going to allow us to measure the quantum level. So they, that level has to be equally real. As soon as you introduce levels of reality, right, and you've got emergence up and emanation down, you're sitting in the Neoplatonic framework. That's why he was so happy to say, yeah, of course, that's exactly what I'm advocating for. That was such a power, such powerful convergence. We're going to talk again soon. Okay. Yes. Uh, I've, I've got here like plenty of insights. Thank you for that. We could speak for hours, but we need to get back to the conference. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for your time and enjoy your stay in Prague. It's been really great getting to meet you both in person. It's really wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, I was just, I was, you know, thinking of referencing the interfacing. It's yeah. so powerful, yeah. you know, and I wanted to also talk about the difference. Oh, I see on the screen and it's such a huge moment for us, but now it's even, you know, even more ecstatic. Like, you know, we are really starstruck. Thank you so much for your work. It's been a pleasure to, you know, to talk to you. Uh, hopefully we'll talk uh, in the future again. And yeah, it's just a lot of stuff going on. And yeah, just thank you and, you know, keep, uh, keep doing what you're doing because it's amazing and it's helping a lot of people. Thank you so much. Thank you, gentlemen.